They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Before I get to today's guest, I'd like to do a little bit of housekeeping for the show. My $15 or more patrons um, pay that level, so hopefully they can hear their names be said on this show. I'm hoping they pay it because they like my content, too. But this is a perk. Um, those people are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, and Mark Price. And I'd also like to thank my newest patron, Jesse. Thank you guys all very much. Um, as I do in a lot of these shows, um, today's show is brought to you by Cinema Spection. Cinema Spection is a podcast run by my friends Tim and Corinne Luz. It's a deep dive on movies of their choice. Um, I think they try to do weekly. Um, it's the very first podcast I've ever been on. It started my love of doing shows, I think, back five or six years ago. And um, if you get a chance to check them out at cinemaspection.com, um, you'll have a blast. Their, their stuff is great. Tim puts a lot of time into it. So with that, I'll get to today's guest. Good sir, introduce yourself to the world. Greetings, everybody. My name is Trayvon Mack. Nice to meet you guys. Wonderful to be on. I happen to be located out of Nevada here on the good old USA. USA. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, dude. That's awesome. How long have you been in Nevada? Me? Born and raised, sir. Very cool. You ever lived anywhere else or born and raised, went to school, did all everything there? So it's weird. Where I'm at is like a really small area, and we don't happen to have like an actual nursery to deliver children. So I was technically born across the river in what is Arizona, like less than five miles away. Like I can look across from where, like where my bedroom is at. I can look out my window and see Arizona and the border for it and then still live in Nevada. That's where I'm at. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, man. So yeah. Te technically born in Arizona, but I live in Nevada. Born in Arizona, moved to Babylonia, King Tut. Good old Steve Martin. Oh, boy. Um, anyway, uh, so um, so tell the world, how, how did you come upon um, uh, knowing who I am? That That always interests me. So usually I end up just having these nights where I just end up going through YouTube for about an hour and a half to two hours of just uh, trying to find new things to listen to in my spare time while I write. I actually happen to be an, act, uh, an, an amateur writer, I should say, and an actor as well. Um, and I happen to discover the content that you did with your brother Bob when you guys were playing all of the... Uh, Oh, what was it? It was Altered Beast and Contra. And Contra, yeah. Those oh were fun. God. I hope he does more of those. Those were great. That was hilarious. I remember playing Rampage with my sister and uncles to like 3 a.m. Oh, my goodness. That was hilarious. It was just so much fun to see. And so when I found that, I was like, please tell me these guys have more things to do. And, and you, that was before you had started really going into the Talkbuster and shoot the shit. So I was like, oh, man, yeah. please tell me he does something here soon. And you both started really getting into it. Bob does his reviews. You're doing this. And so I was like, yes, I have people I can follow. I can just backlog all of this and just listen to this while I write. This is amazing. Cool. And so you you found the stuff primarily on YouTube because I I 
got to keep filling up YouTube. I, I make all the videos to put up there, but since YouTube got all kind of weird, um, you know, uh, the podcasts are hosted just as podcasts elsewhere too, but that's good. That's good to hear. Someone's a fan of the YouTube channel. I need to catch up with uploading all that stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I need to make sure that I find the time to truly end up donating into both of your guys' Patreons. Again, like I said, I love supporting content and content creators that not only put out enjoyable content, but thoughtful content. There was a moment when I was um, uh, I was just really down and I didn't have something to like really look into. And then out of nowhere in my feed, months later, there's Bob's episode for the second part to really that bad of Batman v Superman. And I was like, yep. oh my goodness, I needed something to just listen to, to tune out to, or just to think on. And I was just, I was so happy to have something. So that's, yeah, Bob is, um, Bob's incredible. He's that's been him my whole life. Like my, my love of movies, every, everything that I'm kind of a geek about kind of came because I was in the periphery of him. Um, he, he just reads and consumes and lives this stuff. And so I was kind of more of growing up the, the conformist, if you will, you know, did the you school school came pretty easy to me. I, I was a pretty well-rounded kid you know, and everyone told me you're smart to be an engineer. So that's what I went ahead and did. And Bob kind of just paved his own way. You know, after college, he had a multimedia degree and film degree from college. And he did, um, you know, the, the retail stint and, and tried to like make something out of that. And while he was doing it, put these movie reviews just for fun and weird videos that he made um, and started the game overthinker and all that stuff before there was, um, he didn't even have a Patreon at the time, right? This is before people wanted to pay him for it. And while he was kind of, like you said, in, in a darker place himself, some fans, you know, threw up a video of his on screw attack and he won the contest. And that kind of started his rise to being on the escapist and everything else. And then that went the way of the Dodo with, um, Gamergate and then came back. And so he's got the Patreon and I, I'm just so friggin' proud of him. And the fact that he had the, you know, the nice thought as a brother to kind of go, you know, Chris, you need an outlet. Um, come do this podcast with me and then gifted the podcast to me. And this is where all these other ones have come from, you know, cause I was always in the background of the game overthinker and everything else. You know, I was usually the cameraman or the guy dressed up like a ninja, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So, um, wait, it's, it's good to wait, that was you. Oh yeah. Oh, oh nice. So I'm not too far into the game Overthinker myself or anything like that. I'm maybe I'm into his earlier stuff before. A, wait, he starts getting into like ah, uh, there's people keep telling me there's story based content to it. That's so like that, there's a whole yeah. storyline and everything with the anti thinker. Yep. I think it's called. Yeah, he created a uh, a character based on a lot of really jerky people that we knew. Um, called <laughs> called the anti thinker that wore tap out shirts and backwards Yankees baseball caps and you know would 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 say things like you know oh uh, Legend of Zelda is a pretty cool game but I, I don't I don't I, I don't understand why the main character has to look like such a girl kid you know and stuff like that it's just like oh Bob you you you're really leaning into this and some people hated it and some people loved it um, I I thought it was great but I I was the uh, I was kind of part of the creative team for that. That was kind of him and I always hanging out outside of my apartment or our child at home or wherever and just filming random videos and 
making this stuff. It, it culminated into something called War of the Thinkers that I, I won't blow where the story goes because he had some fun with it. But we had a bit at the end where um, he, he it, we, we did this meta joke that, that was my idea where he the camera turns around and it's behind Bob and I'm standing there holding a camera and he goes, Chris, and he goes, yeah, I've been standing here the whole time throughout this entire saga. And <laughs> I, I was start, I was starting to go insane because you never recognized or, or like said anything. <laughs> and, and it was a fun little way to end it. Games for hours, if not days, if not weeks, if not months, if not years. And, and, then, and like, I've been like, knowledge is his brother, just Chris, that's you. Yeah. It was it was wonderful. It was it was such a fun little meta gag that we did. Um, but yeah, so that's so you know, I'm really glad you found the content in that direction because it, you know, it, I wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for him, right? And so, and I wouldn't have anything in terms of like trying to have more of a love and appreciation for film or theater without my mother. There was a. It's one of my most like. It's, it's the memory that comes closest to me. My mother was in a play, a community theater joint for Oliver Twist. And so she was the, pri the primary rose woman. When they would do the, uh, who would buy my sweet red roses, whole thing, oh, yeah. people with the knife guy, the milkmaids. What they would do is she would come down the main aisle in her whole outfit and there would just be this one singular spotlight on her and she'd have no mic, but she would have to just belt out who would buy my sweet red roses all the way from the back of like this huge auditorium straight down, handing roses to people and skipping through. It was so much fun. And through that, I just caught myself into theater. Um, I started watching Les Miserables, uh, Phantom of the Opera, uh, Cats, and I was just. Well, the first time I watched Cats, I was just like, wait, what's going on? The, the, oh, yeah. Humans, but they look like cats. Uh, uh, the, the prosthetics look cool. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, Cats is one of those things. I, I always joked, you know, when they came out saying they were going to do a film version of it. And then they said, oh, you know, we're we're going to, you know, put people in CG costumes so they can actually, you know, do their performance. And I go. You know, the Cats musical handled that by just putting them in clothes and costumes that they could actually dance in. And that's kind of what makes Cats good is the fact that it's a good performance. You don't go to Cats for the story. The story of Cats is kind of like, what if you drop acid and have these visions about cats that think they need to dance so they can go to heaven? Right. Like, <laughs> Cats doesn't even, like, have a straight-up story like Phantom of Hamilton. It's just a collection of short stories that were combined combined to make a very very loose plot it right and that's someone's first draft on a napkin that napkin and, had 300 pages and in theater that works because theater is all about the experience you know what i mean you don't need a narrative necessarily for theater for it to work it's kind of like the second half of the nutcracker the second half of the nutcracker is and what happens now well they dance really because you usually usually uh you know um, opera has a little bit more, you know, going on. No, no, no they're just going to dance for, for two hours now. Uh, all right, cool. So we're just dropping that whole story ad there at the beginning. Huh? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just, we're just going to marinate in this. We're just going to let it happen. Like the, the best identifier for cats for me is John Wick in a way. Like John Wick is just, oh yeah, you know what Keanu Reeves is. 
You know what he does. He's been here before. We're just going to let him go on this ride for two hours of what is effectively an old school 80s slash 90s action film, but done with today's tech. And it just lets you marinate in it. No need to know all the extra stuff like they do in two and three. Just, nah, he, he shoots people. He's going to do that I, long takes and draw that out. Exactly. And, and I love how much suspense that is able to build because it's like you accept that, especially in the first one, you accept that John Wick is just a guy who can get through this stuff, but he's not Neo, right? It's not, you know that this is still a person, so he bleeds and he just happens to get by by the skin of his teeth. It's almost more like a diehard movie, just with a, like someone that's actually trained to be a badass instead of diehard where he's just a brute, you know what I mean? And, and I, I love that. It's like he's gassed, like he ran a marathon. And, and I love that, like, you know, in all three John Wick movies, they get to the point where it's like, no, I ran out of bullets, so I'm just going to beat these fuckers to death with this gun. I'm just going to use it. Like, I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> he does such a good job at that. Like, the, the behind-the-scenes work on that is just wonderful, showing the different kinds of reloads that he does. Like, he'll be in the middle of, like, people just panic in the middle of a club and he'll take the second to just no i'm gonna reload real quick white while i have my foot to this dude's throat and then take the second to double tap him yeah no john wick is theater john john wick is a dance and oh. and, I, and i love that about those movies and, and it's weird because you would expect those movies to lessen over time even the sequels but they just work somehow they just decided you know what no we're just gonna stay right here right in this little world um we're just gonna have john wick once he runs out of bullets nah he'll actually do the pencil thing oh, oh now we're going to include dogs and horses and while he's on a horse he's gonna get chased by motorcycles don't worry we're just gonna have fun with this it's that's filmmaking to me it's less about the straight up narrative and the thematic structure and enjoyment that you get out of it that's why stuff like star wars and the last jedi really get to me as opposed to stuff like attack of the clones which i still contend is the worst star wars movie yeah i agree with you there <laughs> i i'm getting very bothered by you know and again, I, I think you you asked me, but I didn't ask you, so, so I'll just jump right into that. What what did you think of Rise of the Skywalker? Oh, uh, we had this conversation where I said it was ten words or less. So I'm going to try to do it here. Yeah. Okay, it's dumb fun, but it's fun. It's still Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's dumb fun. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense about Star Wars, but it's fun. You don't want to know everything. Just and to, and to and to me, you know, and again, this is this is, you know, it's a hard thing, right? Because I'm not I'm not a fan of gatekeeping. And I get that we've all done it. God, when I was younger, I did it. You know what I mean? You can't like this thing unless you know this. And that was kind of at least at the age I'm at. How how old are you, Trey? I am 23. 23 so you've got yeah okay so you're you're still in the in the proximity of the age group i was in but you seem to be older than your years in this thinking but it, it's kind of the younger fandom thing 
to kind of, you know, jump into something and go, okay, it's like a hipster kind of thing, right? Like I'm the only one that's allowed to like this. And if you don't know these things, then you can't like it too. And star Wars, especially with the prequels really grew into that. It's like, well, if you haven't read all of the, the thing that makes the prequels good is if you read all these EU books and I'm like, all right, guys, that's fine. But that doesn't change the fact that the prequels weren't good. Like they're there, they do a lot of good stuff. And I think that Lucas is swinging for the fences and there's a lot of cool world building and character stuff. I mean, I, I, I would never want to live in a world where Darth Maul didn't exist. You know, that was a great character. I, I love the stuff that they did with Palpatine in those movies. And that kind of helps this newer trilogy kind of, you know, have a lot more, um, you know, depth to it and all of that. But at the end of the day, why are we all of a sudden like grown up enough that we're going, yeah, well now I can be angry at this new thing. So the prequels weren't that bad anymore. That is scaring me that like, <laughs> it's like, we can't just, you know, kind of calm down and accept that we can grow and not be as gatekeepy and that star Wars can be big, dumb fun and still be good. And, and you know, I, star Wars, star Wars is not star Trek. Like it doesn't need to check all of these like super detailed cannon boxes. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> And, and it's weird. It the best way I can look at it is the terminology of life imitating art. The way that we have gatekept Star Wars is the same way that I've experienced the gatekeeping of the DC movies with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and the Flash. Is exactly how you see it in politics today, where people just treat like vaccinations, um, the death penalty, the gun debate literally anything and it just feels like this frustrating world where we can't have what we had before where it was consistent debate but it didn't descend into you don't know what you're talking about or just straight yelling across the aisle where is the the conversations where we used to have where we would debate on things like oh yeah uh like the batman why is it that we have only 1% of Batman stories? How does, why does it feel like we only get The Dark Knight Returns, uh, Batman Year One, and The Long Halloween? It seems like those are the right. only stories that anyone wants to do on Batman. Like, can I please not see Under the Red Hood for the 17th time in films and games and comics? Please? <laughs> now, I get it. Jason Todd is a wonderful thing. For those of you who don't know that The Red Hood is Jason Todd... I don't know what to do for you. <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, can, can we see more? There's a whole lot more to Batman psyche that we can see. Like, and why does everything need to be in a trilogy? I don't think that right. we have to hold everything down to this concept of a trilogy being the end-all, be-all for something. I think that some things would work good if you decided, okay, we're going to do this in five films. We're going to do a Superman series, and it's going to start with a Lois Lane movie, but then we're going to focus on Superman for three, and the last one is going to be on the world without Superman. That would be like... Right. That would be fantastic. Can, can we make that movie, please? Right. I would love that. So, like, the first one would be like, okay, you have Lois Lane. She is trying to find out something that's going on with a criminal organization that has some kind of alien tech, but she also needs to look like she's on the download. So who does she use to help her get around areas so she can be on the download? Oh, you know, this nice little farm boy from Kansas who just happens to be like the dopiest person around her news cycle. 
who just also happens to be Superman. That way you can <laughs> actually have all the, the superhero heroics and then also have Lois Lane be a character who is defined by the investigation she does, not by the investigations defining her. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And just, ah. Uh, so I would love that. You know, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, to have this conversation because, like you said, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, right? Back to that big, dumb fun but it's still a big, dumb, fun Star Wars movie. And the majority of the Star Wars movies are big, dumb, fun movies, right? Like, A New Hope is a big, dumb, fun movie. Return of the Jedi is a big, dumb, fun movie. Empire Strikes Back is better than a big, dumb, fun movie. The it's Last Jedi is better, better than a big, dumb, fun movie. happens in Empire. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. This emotional love scene, but don't forget that Han Solo's stuck inside of a giant space worm. Oh, and you can't forget that, you know, The Last Jedi happens to have Canto Bite, which Canto Bite is very important to the theme of the film. In fact, it gives us the greatest end shot in any Star Wars movie. But the Canto Bite sequence, you can tell that's not the sequence, the type of movie that Ryan Johnson wanted to make. That felt like a, a second unit director with, working with the section of ILM that did the Harry Potter cleanup shoots. You know what I mean? And I love the movie to death, but that sequence feels so goddamn out of place in that movie. But I still love the movie to death. It's my favorite of the new trilogy. But of course, anything that came after that movie was going to be underwhelming. Um, it was, and, and I think, it is, and still is the divisive Star Wars movie. I don't think, and, and it's I more divisive than that. Right. And and I think people, it, it's a bummer to see. I get when people go in with a chip on their shoulder. I hate when I see critics get pulled into it. When, when critics, when critics are buying, are, are making their discussion be about the discourse of what was going on outside of the film and what could this mean? And is this a director flipping off the director from before? And I go, you're a film critic, review the damn movie. Like, I'd love to come on a podcast with you and talk about that, but don't give me a 56% rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes just because you think the director might be mad at the director before him. Now, if, if you want the movie to be, you know, um, reviewed on like its, its ability to be a good film, the Rise of Skywalker is clunky. But I'd rather go out clunky and big and fan servicey for my final Star Wars movie than go out with, you know, Attack of the Clones. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker is the perfect six out of ten. It's got yeah. action. It is well competent. John Williams is still putting on the same score that he did before, and it still hits on all cylinders. But there's a few things that hold it back from being a great movie. It's still fun. It's still good. It's just not anything to write home about. I'll buy the DVD. Oh no! And people said to me, they go, so, "So then, so then, you think Force Awakens was a bad movie?" And they go, "Here's the deal: if you take, because I don't think the Rise of Skywalker is a bad movie." They said, "If you take the Force Awakens and you take the Rise of Skywalker on their own, and you say no new Star Wars movies existed, do you know what I mean? So right. if either one of them was movie seven, they'd be as good as Force Awakens was received. If if Rise of Skywalker was the first film to come out and there was no bar set that these things could actually be good again and abrams came out the bat and made rise of skywalker because in your mind you'd go he's still got there's still two more movies to flesh out this story the problem that abrams or anyone really has with any of these films i mean it was shown with lucas and his creative team on return of the jedi they do not know how to stick the landings on these goddamn movies 
<laughs> they just God, don't know how to do it. Even <laughs> you know, everybody's had issues sticking the landing. God, Christopher Nolan had full creative direction basically over his entire Batman trilogy, and even he failed to stick the landing with the Dark Knight Rises. Yes, he did, and, and, and that that's the thing I try to remind people as I go take the movie as it exists. Have gripes about it. Of course there's gripes I have about the movie. But it is not some childhood ruining thing. It's not not a Star Wars movie. It feels and looks and breathes like a Star Wars movie. The biggest problem The Rise of Skywalker had is that it was directed by the same guy that made The Force Awakens. Because, of course, you're going to come in and go, well, I didn't expect to be the guy sitting in this chair, but here's the things I would have wanted to do. So of course you're going to try to shoehorn those things in. And maybe you shouldn't have hired the guy that wrote Batman versus Superman. That might've been a mistake. Right. I just like, (laughs) now I can't fault Chris Terrio on, on the entirety of Batman. No, neither can I Effort, effort, but at the same time, maybe not maybe also look towards having Ryan Johnson like at least help out a little bit or even better ask Ron Howard to come through or any of the other related Star Wars people like there's so many great people that work in-house like how come we have never gotten a Dave Filoni directed Star Wars movie oh god wow amazing that would be just pay him the money you're what the Walt Disney Corporation you have more money than God. You have nation states, basically, in the middle of Florida. One of the craziest states to even begin with. How have you not asked this man to do anything? Or even we'll Lawrence Kasdan, the dude who was absolutely willing to help with The Force Awakens and Last Jedi? Yeah, my my feeling, what I think they're going to do is, if if they still give Ryan Johnson producer on the, the Star Wars movies they wanted him to make, which who knows if they're going to do that or not, that's... That's all up to them. The, they already canceled or the, the Game of Thrones guys backed out of their one or whatever it was. But, um, you know, what I think will happen is if Ryan Johnson comes back on to produce and kind of be the, be the George Lucas for the new Star Wars movies, they're just going to have fucking Favreau direct them. Oh, I mean, the, nice. it would be nice because he's, he's Disney's golden child right now. And I've only seen a little bit of The Mandalorian, but that's a perfect example of having someone in creative control of your entire project. He didn't have to direct all of it, but he's just there. You that know, Mandalorian show is good, man. They get some really solid direction behind it. And the best part about it is almost every episode is directed by someone new. So yeah. one episode is directed by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. She was, uh, yeah. I can't even remember where she was from. She's from uh, a lot of oh, things. She's Gwen Stacy from Spider-Man 3. That's what I'm thinking most off the top of my head. Was she Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man 3? She's Gwen Stacy. They pulled a lot of people from the early aughts in that movie. Topher Grace is in there. Bryce Dallas Howard. Kirsten Dunst. I, Toby McGuire. Yeah, I man. I forgot that was Bryce Dallas Howard. because I. I <laughs> you're right. She, she, was on, um, she was in an episode of Black Mirror. On the that was insanely good. Right. Wait, wait, wasn't that the episode where they do the uh the social media episode? Where yeah. They, yeah. Yeah, where you need credits to get in and out of places and yeah, that that and then she goes and breaks into that wedding her own wedding or something. Yeah, it, it was it was completely nuts. That, <laughs> that was great. 
But no, I, you know, it's it's crazy. I have I have a buddy at work that I go to lunch with a lot that, you know, when the Avengers came out, the very first Avengers, he was so excited. And the minute all it took was for Disney to buy Marvel and he shut off. He's just like, I, I can't separate the fact that I hate Disney. And I go, here's the deal. Hate all you want on on monopolies and corporations and capitalism and all that stuff. But everything you're talking about, just because the Avengers is owned by Disney now, it's all of a sudden a bad cash cow. Someone's been trying to make money off of everything that you like since the first time anyone created a product. Nothing gets made into a movie or gets made into a comic unless someone thinks they can make money off of it. Now, sometimes what people think they can make money off of is letting somebody new, like an auteur or somebody, make their own creative controlled thing. But not every time. Sometimes they have to make what they think you're going to pay to see. And if Disney wasn't going to do it, Marvel was going to sell themselves to somebody else. You know? Right. Like, the perfect example of that is in the DCEU. Man of Steel and Batman v Superman feel like creator-driven projects. They, they really do. Snyder. And then you see the little bit of the pullback from in Suicide Squad, where it's kind of half of uh, what... Who was the director? That? David Ayer. It feels like Ayer's project, but then again, it feels a little bit like WB. Wonder Woman, they knew what they were getting into with Wonder Woman. They let that thing ride, and that thing is wonderful. And then Justice League fully feels like it is too many cooks. It's a oh, yeah, little bit of and a that's little someone bit of trying to course correct. So someone's like, oh, we got to fix this right now. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, I, potato I, salad I, with raisins. It's what happens when I, you put raisins in potato salad. Oh, God, no. Yeah, man. <laughs> Are those oh, yeah, raisins in your potato, potato salad? salad? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, no, so... um. I, I actually felt that meddling starting with Batman versus Superman because because I'm I'm the weird person. Um, and actually, my, my brother kind of is, too. And people forget this, that his two, three episode Batman versus Superman takedown was not a takedown of Zack Snyder. It was a takedown of everything wrong that culminated in creating that film. I actually quite like Zack Snyder's Man of Steel now. Let me double back because Superman is my favorite comic book character. Same. So first time, first time through Man of Steel, I felt like I was being attacked because I'm like, no, this isn't Superman. This isn't Superman and everything you're doing. It's too grim, dark, and I don't like you and fuck you. But I still really like Zack Snyder as a director. I really there's a lot of stuff he's done that I've really enjoyed. And I think just like people like M. Night Shyamalan and J.J. Abrams, for that matter, they're only as good as their creative team. If they have a good writer working with them, stuff's going to culminate to something good. If they have a yes-man writer that's just going to go, yeah, all that crazy stuff you want to do, you just do it. it. It it doesn't necessarily work. So I looked at Man of Steel objectively the second time through, and I said, you know what? If, if they make a follow-up to this that's basically, hey, this was Clark Kent learning how to be Clark Kent because Superman was an alien coming to the world. This is a different take. So if this is a guy who doesn't just come to the come to Earth and all of a sudden is just pure good from the get go, he has to learn what pure good, what the human race needs him to be. And I got that vibe watching it the second time when he walks out and he's basically doing a Christopher Reeve impression. Like in the Daily Planet, again, I go, maybe that was what this was. This was a Clark Kent origin story and not a Superman origin story. 
that's new. That's different. I like that take. So this movie could be a solid B minus for me if your follow up is great. And then they just jumped right to Batman versus Superman. And I feel like that was that was full studio meddling. That was you don't get the breathing room. So you're stuck making us this team up movie right now. Go. It feels like part seven of what really long thing to draw out these people because here you're introduced to a Batman that you've never seen before on film. Let's not even take it from the idea of comics. You know, the the base concept of who Batman is. Rich dude throws like boomerangs shaped like his insignia, beats people up but doesn't kill them. Cool. Now you're supposed to introduce us to this guy who is 20 years older than what we think, kills people, and then doesn't actively use the Batarang. He uses more guns and more or and less gadgetry. He's much more about the physical nature as opposed to the emotional and intelligent, logical nature of things. How are we going to go about seeing that? We don't really. And, and that's why the extended version of the film irritates me more because it expands on some things, but it doesn't fill the cracks needed to fully cement them as characters as opposed to just people you know by like intrinsic value. It just frustrates me. It it just, it feels, it feels rushed and not fleshed out. And again, if, if, if it's Zack Snyder's aesthetic that pisses people off. Yeah. Unapologetically, that looks like a Zack Snyder movie, but it's not the look of the movie that I dislike. It's, it's just, the one I've seen both versions. The theatrical cut was just stripped down to the point where all it was was exposition and story, and the exposition and story bored me because there was no time for it to sink in. Then I watched the extended version and realized no, there was really no story there to begin with, um, and especially with how poorly they used Superman. It's like you don't reduce Superman to your like lifeless villain type role that, that they kind of basically had him playing in that movie, even though that's not really what he was playing. Um, you need another movie to get to know both of these guys, at least one more movie to get to know them both. And um, they just didn't give it. And it's a shame because there are two actors that were really kind of giving it their, their all like Affleck is not bad as Bruce Wayne and Batman. He's literally given no material to work with. Um, what's his name is not bad as Superman. He's just given no material to work with. And it's a super bummer because you can't blame it on any one guy. Just like if you don't like the rise of Skywalker, you can't blame it on JJ Abrams. He's part of the problem. I mean, all the mystery boxing crap he set up in the force awakens is part of the problem, but he can't help himself. Like that's, you just have to accept that's what comes with this director, you know, cause he makes, he made, and I said this to someone the other day, two movies that look authentically like star Wars films. There is no denying that the force awakens and rise of Skywalker are two of the most beautiful looking star Wars films that have ever been made. But the last Jedi is a beautiful looking film and that's different. It's not necessarily trying to look like a star Wars movie. It's trying to look like a movie. And you could kind of say the same thing about the empire strikes back in that parallel. That movie went for a more rich cinematic feel. Whereas a new hope and return of the Jedi really look like the big, um, you know, Muppet filled, you know, George Lucas, um, sci-fi you know space opera that they were trying to be where those other movies kind of stripped themselves down a little bit and so i can't fault them for 
bookending their trilogy with that look. But like you said, when you have a show that has a new director each time, but one creative person in charge of the look, it sometimes works out a little bit better as a cinematic whole, as, as a story for that matter. And yeah, okay, so maybe they faltered a little bit there, but you know, back to the, the point of Chris Terrio, you can't believe and blame him for Batman versus Superman because it, it's a culmination of just people trying to rush to get to a goal line. That's that's it, the Amazing Spider-Man too did the same thing. Yeah, it, it, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man one probably frustrates me more than two because while it's still trying to do something original, I still like kind of just have my faults with the movie. The Amazing Spider-Man two is just slow, and it's the weirdest thing about a Spider-Man movie to call it slow and plotting and droll, but it is. It just doesn't yeah. go anywhere, and it's weird when you have best. Picture like like people who were in Best Picture nominees, uh, Best Actors. Like Jamie Foxx won Best Actor. How do you not pull more with that, that guy? Yeah, they assembled insane casts for both of those movies. Like I, I have no idea how more didn't just happen by the fact that they hired good people. You know. <laughs> so the the way I see Star Wars now is the way I interacted about a year ago with Metal Gear Solid. And it's Ooh. weird. Yeah. So I'm experiencing a I experience I'm experiencing a lot of the same gatekeeping and holistic just anger with Star Wars that I'm experiencing with Metal Gear Solid because I decided in 2019 I'm going to go through and just play every numbered Metal Gear game. So I I decided to Wow. I'm going to go through and play Metal Gear Solid 2, 3. I gave it for fun because I really loved 3. I played Subsistence. I played 5. And then I played 4. I wanted to leave 4 for last because its ending is so important to everyone from what everyone told me. I thought, okay, no problem. Leave that to the end. It's probably going to feel like the craziest thing in the world. And it is. If, if, If anything... The the fourth Metal Gear Solid feels like uh, it feels a lot like The Force Awakens. It's new, it's frustrating at times, but it is undoubtedly Metal Gear Solid. It's got so much to just throw at you in terms of trying to bring back your memories of what you're supposed to remember from Metal Gear. It's throwing exposition. It's throwing out all of these new aspects that you're supposed to understand and relate to while also capping off what is probably the greatest trilogy of video games ever made, I want to argue. Yep. Yep. Metal Gear Solid, push the envelope. Two, has one of the greatest twists in gaming history, in my opinion. And Metal Gear three, Solid 2 is totally the last Jedi of that series. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. It, it's so much Metal Gear Solid 2, it screams, you don't even get to play as the cool dude you get to play as. You get to play this blonde dude for the majority of the game. And With a completely different control set and moves and everything else. And it's just, oh my god, that was brilliant. Right, it just feels like this entire thing that just, it, it's subversion the video game. They shouldn't even just call it Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. Just call it Metal Gear 2 Subversion. That's all it is. They told, And they told no one. So having lived through that, 
we're, we're, you know, um, I don't know where, did you play it when it first came out? Mm-mm. Cause that was what uh, God, that was 20 years ago now. Oh my right. God. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm trying. So, so I just, I just didn't want to assume. Um, I, so, I, again, I played all of the metal gear solids for the very first time, 2019. Okay. So, so I, when I rented the original metal gear solid before I purchased it, um, I don't think, I think they had just put a blockbuster in my town. That's like when the first Metal Gear Solid came out. So I rented it from the old mom and pop video store, Video Craze in my town. And I re-rented it and re-rented it and re-rented it and beat it and then bought it and beat it again. That was that was my favorite game ever made. It's it's a perfect game, in my opinion. It's It's just a great, well-made video game. It pushed that system harder than I think anyone had ever pushed it before. It was, it was just insane. So leading up to metal gear solid two, it it was the, the classic Sony Hideo Kojima thing where you got this tech demo in PlayStation magazine, which was the opening of the game where you played a snake. So all anyone played leading up to this game was you're going to get this badass game with look at how cool snake looks and all look at how well he controls and look at all these cool stealth moves. And they, they leaned so heavy on advertising everything with snake. They didn't nothing. They didn't show you a damn thing about metal gear solid two in the trailers, except for the first 20 minutes of the game. That was the demo that they were giving out. And so when that game came out, I had it day one and I remember playing it and I was so excited when they made that switch and I got so bummed out when everyone else was like returning the game and flipping out all over the internet and saying, Oh, we've been screwed. We've been had. And I'm like, no, have you played the game? It's brilliant. It's amazing. And it was just so weird that, and you like, like keep going with your point, but it's an important point to be made that that's a prime example of, I didn't get what I wanted and that way, therefore couldn't accept what they gave me. Just enjoy the ride that the person you decided to patronize decided to give you it is not your creation star wars is yours and it's also mine and also the directors and also disney's and everybody's because what we assume to be star wars just culminates to what we want to say about it and star wars is an opera it is an epic it is a small film like you see in a new hope Yet it is also this dramatic, emotional family story like you see in the prequels of Anakin being this young kid who's in slavery and stripped from his mother to finding her again and seeing that she's dead and having to deal with that emotionally as a stunted growth man. That is the thing that everybody forgets about Anakin Skywalker. He is emotionally stunted. There is no fixing that about him. And then obviously that blows over in Revenge of the Sith in what is the most memed moment in it, but it's supposed to be, yo, this emotionally stunted man wasn't given enough love and support in his life. And so he turned to the nearest father figure that he could, and it just so happened to be the Hitler. And so he just has to assassinate everybody he's ever known in his life, cutting him out from everybody. It's a story about toxicity. And honestly enough, the prequels ended up kind of imitating life itself. Uh, right. It just ended in toxicity. Everybody didn't care. No one enjoyed it. No one thought it was good, except for those that were willing to just 
accept the thematic ride that people were willing to set you on. And I feel like time has tempered that a bit for people, but it doesn't stop that initial just vitriol that people threw at the prequels. God, uh, Ahmed Best, the, the actor who played Jar Jar Binks, came out like a decade ago. I don't know if you saw this and said that yeah. he was contemplating suicide. And I was just like, my God, how did we get here? And that that makes me it, it makes me so angry to have been part of it. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I'm, I'm not going to you know sit here and cast stones and not also look through the glass house of. Yeah, I, I horribly disliked. Attack of the Clones when I saw it. I was pretty young when The Phantom Menace came out, so I still have a, a a bright place in my heart for it, even though it's not a great movie. But looking back on it now, thematically, the story, like you said, that George Lucas had to tell was actually a pretty good one. It's just he's he's an idea guy. It's kind of the problem that, that Abrams is unfortunately having is he's... I think he's a great filmmaker, and I think he's a great idea guy. I think he needs somebody to not just say yes all the time um, might help him a little bit. And Disney um, are not the people that aren't going to say yes when you're printing them billion dollar paychecks. You know what I mean? So, but, but George Lucas, you know, he made basically three of the biggest budget independent films ever made. He had no one backing him on those damn things, you know, and I can look back on those, like you said, tempered a little bit, but I'm at best did not deserve any of that. You know, and, and and again, do I do I like the character of Jar Jar Binks, you know, as a character and as it's written? No. Do I think his performance is amazing? Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, and it's a damn shame. And I have fun with it. It's Star Wars. Like I said, it's dumb, but it's fun. And Jar Jar and, encapsulates that to a T. And my brother had said, you know when he was talking about what this new trilogy could have done that they missed the boat on. Cause all of us went into the force awakens with that chip on our shoulder. Still. I mean, there's a reason the first line in the force awakens is this should set things straight. That's the fandom being told, don't worry, we got you. You're fine. You know what I mean? It, it, we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of all those bad feelings. Don't worry. But you know, it would have been a ballsy move to bring Ahmed best back and stick Jar Jar in there somewhere. You know what I mean? It, it really would have been because that man, does he deserves to be in the pantheon of the fandom, looked back in a positive light, be, especially for that reason. The guy, he almost killed himself over playing a character that shouldn't happen. I mean, look at what happened to Kelly Marie Tran. This shit should not happen. She got like, forced off of social media because people got upset, not with her, but with a fictionalized version of a character from a space movie a place that 99.9 percent of everyone on this planet have never been to by the way and just got over the top angry about not her but a fictionalized version of a character she just so happens to be the face of and it just ah and i feel so bad because 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 being someone that like like agrees with you that you know it's a big dumb pretty good movie this this Rise of Skywalker movie I will never be able to love it because whether it's their choice for the reasons Chris Terrio and Abrams said where they intended to have her be in a bunch of scenes with Leia and they just weren't able to make it work with the footage that they had to me that sounds like kind of a cop out but if that's really it I mean 
this is a complicated issue they had, right? They were, they were stuck with, with a pretty hard problem to solve, but imagine being Kelly Marie Tran and still having to go on the damn production, like, you know, um, uh, photo ops and everything for this, knowing that your character got cut down to the point where even if it wasn't in reaction to how you were treated in the last one, it was just the natural course of where they wanted to go with the character people. That's all they're going to want to ask you. All they're going to want to ask you is, so how do you feel about being cut out of most of the movie? How do you feel about being put in a desk job while everyone else gets to go do this? That just sucks. You know? Like, like I don't know if she'll ever see this because, you know, actors, they, they big budget Hollywood actors have more things to do with their time. They could be buying groceries or trying right. to find other projects that they're a part of. But Kelly, Kelly Marie Tran, if you ever find this, allow me to just salute you real quick absolutely the, the amount of strength that you have to carry on despite the over-the-top anger that people give you is awe-inspiring i just it, it's it's beautiful to see and i wish you well in anything you do please continue to be the wonderful human being that you have exhibited so far and I, and I want to see more of her. I want her to show up in like everything now, because let, let me just say this. It, it was such a deflating thing when she had to give the line. Oh, I need to stay here and do this stuff. Not because, you know, I think that's the movie being mean to her. I think that's the fandom being mean to her truthfully, mm-hmm. but she just, she's such a happy thing to see on screen. She exuded such a hope and a joy and, you know, People try to say, well, her character isn't interesting. She already knows who she is. And I go, no, that's what makes her a good counterpart to Ray and everyone else that are trying to figure out who they are is having someone who can walk in and be strong and kind of be a stand in for Leia. Since you don't have Carrie Fisher around, she could have really been a character to stand there and kind of be the strength back home character. if That's how they were going to write her and give her an arc, give her something to do. I mean, she knows where she's from. She knows what she's had to overcome this character. That doesn't mean it's an underwritten character. That just means it's a fleshed out character. Do something with it. You know, you you have an actress that's ready to go. Just do something with it. Like Finn is, is, is probably my most frustrating character because he has something. You can feel it. It's palpable. It's like getting an ice cream sandwich and unwrapping it. Like you can feel it. You know it's cold in your hand, you know what it's tasted like before, and you know what it's going to taste like in your mouth. And you just never get to fully enjoy it because it feels like they just let it melt away before they truly delve into what Finn is going to be. Especially when, like, the, the last Jedi really decides, hey, we're going to take this character and we're going to show him both sides of the war are nitty and gritty. They're both not the best thing in the world. But no matter what, you still need to make a choice. And for some reason, they don't have him fully cement that choice in The Rise of Skywalker in the sense that, that I get to fully take charge of a scene. He never fully no. gets to be the emotional drive of the plot. It is almost always Ray driving the plot or Ben driving the plot, which is fine. We need to cap off the whole Jedi Sith thing, but it's Star Wars. It is a whole thing that encapsulates everybody in a story. 
or even as even not everybody, the majority of the characters that you want to play into. So why is it that the main lead guy that you happen to see for The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi gets relegated in this film? And it and it's and it's a bummer, right? It's it's great to hear someone else say that his arc in The Last Jedi is actually important. Is I felt like it was all set up and that this movie was going to be a ton of stuff about Finn and then they did nothing with it. You know, because a lot of people complain that Finn got sidelined in The Last Jedi. No, he didn't get sidelined. They were setting up his story, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it's a bummer that they didn't go further with it because, you know, as awful as this would be because Abrams reminded us with The Rise of Skywalker and, and the, the good parts of Terrio and his script were the writing between the characters, not oh. the story. The story was clunky and broken, but the, the writing, there were great moments of what made the original trilogy great between Finn and Poe and Ray and Chewie and C-3PO. I, I would make a case that Anthony Daniels is better in this movie as C-3PO than he's ever been. Oh, he's great. The dialogue you know what I mean? is hilarious. I was and, wrong every time he spoke. And I almost wish, and it's a bummer to say this because Poe's storyline, his meeting other people in this movie, feels like an afterthought. It feels tacked on to make the story drive in a direction. Poe had his arc in the last movie. The last movie, he he betrayed Leia. He was a hothead. He did all this. He kind of got his comeuppance in the last movie. I almost kind of feel, even though I'd hate to lose Oscar Isaac, that they just killed him at the end of The Last Jedi. Because so much of him in this movie could have been Finn. Instead of us going back to Poe's world where he had that run in with that girl why don't we just have that be digging in because they're literally in a town where they're coming and digging up more stormtroopers you know what i mean they're they're going and factory farming in the world looking for more people to add to the 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 final order why can't we delve more into that whole extra tacked on thing they did with finn meeting more um stormtroopers that have the force basically and don't recognize it and that's what caused them to turn away from the from the first order and it's like that is such an interesting story poe's kind of already been played out we don't need him to be another han solo and bring in women that he's been chasing around just cut him out of the mix or have him be the one back with kelly marie tran as the acting princess leia do you know what i mean give her the less scenes that she was given because we all know that carrie fisher is dead you're not fooling anyone even though it was great to see movies her. are made in a vacuum you're not fooling me that we don't right. have enough Right. Of but, of, but of course, you know, have have the scenes that you needed to have to give her a good send off. I love what they did giving her a send off. It's just I don't need two fins. Give me Finn. Finn and Ray and Kylo Ren were the trifecta of, of The Force Awakens. Poe was the person that got Finn into the mix. And then he was kind of relegated to being dead for the majority of the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. So <laughs> you don't you, you don't need Poe. Poe is a good character, but he's just another resistance fighter. He, he Do you know what I mean? Pilot that you have. Period. He is also a leader. Period. And then he also has a direct connection to Finn. And those are the three things that you really can lead on to. In fact, I think that there's a better cut of this movie you can make where uh, you effectively have Lando in this movie from the beginning and then have him alongside Poe trying to get people to come back 
in yes. fight with the the alliance, then have a second side plot where it's effectively Finn becoming the leader of the resistance. I agree. Finn is going just... to take over. Poe is going to be his second in command. And then Rey, obviously, is going to be that hope spark of the next line of Jedi. That's your trifecta. And then, of course, Ben has his own thing going on. And just let that ride. Yeah, agreed. Because none of... As, as I say, the story of Rise of Skywalker is clunky. But the characters, I love all of them. So I'm so happy that they're all there. It's just they feel underserved. And that's that's a bummer. And that all comes down to... It's really the same problem that plagued the other movies we just talked about. Of them trying to get to a conclusion too quickly. The Last Jedi set up some really good story points and stripped everything down. And then they had to reinflate the bits and again, I don't necessarily think there's, you know, all the conspiracy theories of Disney trying to course correct because some people didn't like it. But remember, I don't hold a lot of weight to that because some people didn't like it is not the movie didn't make money. You know, if some people if some people didn't like it resulted in the movie making solos money, then I could see them going, OK, we need to do a big course correction. I think solo because Solo was after The Last Jedi, was the big problem that affected The Rise of Skywalker. I think Solo was... Dis- there was de- definitely Disney course correction to make sure The Rise of Skywalker had everything in it that people wanted, but that was a direct reaction to them reacting to how poorly they handled Solo. And I think Solo is a great movie. I, Honestly, I really do. I think out of all of the... the, the at least the Disney-made films, from Force Awakens to Rise of Skywalker... I probably like Solo the most. It feels the most like a down-home, nitty-gritty, we're going to follow this dude, he's going to do this thing. Yeah, the Rebels and Empire are here, but we're also just going to follow this dude as he's basically trying to MacGuffin his way out of all of his situations. I think that there's a great television show that you could do in that where it's just an original character. You just happen to follow him. He happens to be a pod racer who is way in over his luck because it's way too long for us to not have seen another pod race. That was the coolest thing out of the Phantom Menace. Right. It really was. Just just enjoy a series, like a 10-episode series, similar to The Mandalorian, where you just follow a guy who's way in over his head and just has to do the best he can in a galaxy far, far away. It's not like you haven't been able to do it before. Han Solo's entire character in the original trilogy is oh yeah i'm kind of uh trying to solve all my debts to this super gangster that's out there in the galaxy like more than you've ever seen before and it also happens that he has an amazing bounty hunter on his side who happens to be a mandalorian this great warrior who only gets like 12 lines and is totally trash by the way Boba Fett is weak. I'm sorry. I just no. I agree with you. I've I've always when they announced the Mandalorian, my first thing was shit. They're making a fucking Boba Fett show, and then I was like, oh no, it's not. Oh thank God. (laughs) Oh thank God. I was just like, yes, no Fett. The second that I heard that there was no Fett in this show, I was just like, ooh. At least we know that this is going to be some competency. This we're not trying to just straight up go at nostalgia. So I, I, I think Star Wars would serve itself really well to, to become like episodic television for a while. I think more so than, you know, Mar- Marvel, it was a cool experiment to try out with like TV shows to add to the mythos. 
but the movies are doing a good enough job. I mean, it, for for better or for worse, and I think it's for better, The Rise of Skywalker is not Avengers Endgame. And I think people wanted it to be. Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, the Star global spanning epic that spanned the last 42 years to come to this one firm conclusion that was going to wrap up the story. We didn't need to do Star Wars again for another 45, 50 years. We were done. And it was never going to be that. And anyone who thought that was just not going to enjoy this movie. It just was never going to happen. This and was... Then- and that brings me to my second my second fault, and I'm not calling it a fault, but the second thing that affected people's reception of this film is, is the fact that it came out the same year as Avengers Endgame. Because even I sat there in the theater and I went, shit, he just said he's all the Sith. And then she goes, and I'm all the Jedi. And I go, if you pull out and there's 25 fucking Force ghosts standing behind her. I'm walking out of the goddamn theater. <laughs> and I know there's and I know there's somebody out there that would love to have seen that. But to me, like people go, well, how come Ben isn't standing with Luke and Leia at the end when she's on Tatooine? And I go, because Ben is not the person that she has the fucking connection with. Yeah, she had a connection in real life, but he's transferred to her at that point. You know, I mean, it's a story about her connection, even though it's not through blood to Luke and Leia. Ben's story already played out. We don't need to see him here. Yeah, he's an important thing to Ray. We've established that. But you also don't see Palpatine or Vader or, you know, um, or Han Solo or anyone there at the end. There, you, You're just seeing the people that are important to her and at that very moment. And those are the family she's accepting. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's such, so weird that, when a movie has the balls, and I'll say this outright, The Rise of Skywalker actually, you know, people would say the problem with it is it's too much and it's too big. No, no, it is too much. It's too much movie crammed into too short of a space. But the movie actually has some pretty small character bits. It's not really a big spanning story. In fact, only when it gets to the parts with Palpatine and the ridiculous space fight with far too many Star Destroyers and the Force Lightning MacGuffin and all that stuff, even then, it's still grounded in the fact that it's just a standoff between her and Kylo Ren and Palpatine. It's not them fighting everybody up in the freaking Star Destroyers. You know, that's someone else's story going on right then. And I give it credit that it doesn't become Endgame at the end because it didn't earn that. That's not Star Wars. Star Wars is you know? never going to be the MCU, and that's even, completely fine. We don't expect even, these movies to just throw out all these continuities and Easter eggs and have it all culminate in a big just send-off episodic saga thing. It's just we're going to delve into a specific theme of family ties don't define you, and that's what that final battle is all about. Just enjoy the ride that you got on that and send yourself on that journey. Because otherwise, you just end up feeling empty and dejected otherwise. And that's not what Star Wars is meant for. You're supposed to feel, oh yeah, Rey is here specifically to, to reject the ideas of Palpatine. Whether or not that means she lives or dies. And Ben is there also to show, hey, I have fully decided to join her on this crusade. She has changed my way of thinking. It doesn't make her a Mary Sue because everybody instantly agrees with her. 
Everybody has pushed back on this because they think Ray is a Mary Sue. It is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. I just can't yeah, stand it anymore. Mary Sue, SJW, there, there's some words I just never want to hear again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the white knighting of Star Wars is just this weird aspect of the culture now. And it just, it, it, it almost makes me want to just disconnect from Star Wars. Despite my just love of the series and everything that it does from the Clone Wars in 2003 and 2008 to these films, to The Mandalorian, to the please God let it be good Obi-Wan Kenobi television show they're making, just please make it good. I don't, I don't think it can be bad. Um, and and my, my reasoning on that is that Ewan McGregor deserves his time to shine. That man is an incredible actor and he was one of the, again... You can break down the the prequel trilogy into really, really good parts. He was very well cast in those movies. I'm really excited to see him come back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I'm glad they're doing it as a TV show and that he didn't pop up as a force ghost in this thing. Because regardless of whether people like these this series or not, there was just enough fan service in this. I didn't need more like, and I even feel like that was reined back a little bit. Like this movie was not just fan service every five minutes. Like, like I was expecting it to be when I walked in, you know, it really spent a lot more time with Ray and Finn and, and Poe and everyone than, than spending time with Luke and Leia and Chewie and Lando. And, and I'm kind of glad for that because I like that they're there, but this story is about passing the torch and and I like that about it. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And I think they've passed the torch, not in the best way possible. But no, no, definitely, definitely not. Definitely in the way that was afforded to them. And I think yeah. it's fine. Overall, the trilogy that they gave me of seven, eight, and nine probably ranks as a seven. But that's because the Last Jedi shoots its shot so hard that it just ascends what I expected out of the Star Wars film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, th- there was nothing good. I mean, even Solo. Solo, I appreciated so much after The Last Jedi because Solo, there's there, there's nothing good that can come out of making a prequel movie about a character that is only really good because of, well, not to say Han Solo was a great character, but Han Solo is a supporting character. So give an entire movie with backstory to Han Solo, have fun with it. If you don't, if you try to make it too serious and too gatekeeping and too much about something, you're going to lose part of your audience. And I think what really hurt Solo was the fact that you really don't have Han Solo without Harrison Ford. As great of a job as this guy did, your general movie going audience doesn't see a character they're used to on a screen, i.e., X-Men first class and it's lack of Wolverine or any of the other actors and, and, and things of that nature. And they all of a sudden don't want to show up. And I don't think Disney realized that y- you hit the nail on the head. Solo would have served much better as a show like the Mandalorian gaining a fan base off of word of mouth and not just a movie that needed to make a billion bucks in its first three weeks or people were going to forget about it. And what I loved about watching solo was that it, it said it was just fun. It, it knew it was a useless movie as far as canon and story were concerned, but it found ways to add to the existing mythos and even bring in Darth Maul, which I know some people groaned at, but I thought that was cool. You know, if I'm going to have more Han Solo movies and this guy's going to be my big baddie in the background, if he's going to be the emperor, that's really cool. I I like that. 
that that that's a cool addition. Um, I just don't know what people were expecting, but that coming after the Last Jedi reminded me that Star Wars can be just that, and it doesn't all have to be the Last Jedi. But I really wanted the episodic movie after the Last Jedi to continue on that track of subversion and seriousness. And this was a pendulum swing back in the other direction. And I don't dislike that, <laughs> but, but at the same time, it, it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit. It's kind of a bummer. It was a, it was a no win situation, I think. And the best comparison I can find for solo is found in the MCU. It's Ant-Man. And the yes. best way you can find it is the fact that, oh, yeah, despite the fact that all of these Star Wars movies end up going big, you could still end up going small. And the Marvel movies almost scream that at you in the fact that, hey, guys, we just did Age of Ultron, but now we're going to go small again with a hero whose entire power is to go small. And we're going to yep. do that after Infinity War. Yeah, we're going to kill off half of the main cast that you guys have loved for the past 10 years. And then we're going to go small again with a prequel. And we're just going to have fun because Lawrence Fishburne is a cameo in this. And for some reason, we also have miniature Pez dispenser turning into huge tights like skyscraping Pez dispenser. And I, and I love I think the, the Marvel movies, as we said, the Star Wars movies will never be the Marvel movies as far as scope and what they're trying to do. I think because now they're owned by the same company that Lucasfilm, and I think they're already taking this approach. I think the fandom could, could learn a lot from the fact that this is pulpy. This is silly. It can just be that every once in a while. Like you don't, you don't need it to be the Cimmerillion, you know, for Christ's sakes, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be this big giant, um, you know, detailed, love letter to everything you want it to be. It can just be something more like um, imagine if all three Captain America films had been just the first Avenger. I love the first Avenger. In fact, out of all of the Marvel movies, I think it's the closest to being just a pure comic book film out of all of them. But is it the best Captain America movie? No, it is not. It's my favorite, but they grew, they learned, they adapted where the sequels needed to go. And if, if all star Wars is ever going to be, is just a regurgitation of star Wars. That's just as bad as if every single star Wars movie is pushing the envelope. So goddamn hard that I have to rethink everything I knew. So just kind of let them exist and let them entertain you, man. Right on, man. Right on with that. But I was going to say, um, cause, cause we're getting near me needing to go back to work, but to talk about more, more positive things that have happened to series that are beloved. Have you seen the dark crystal age of resistance? I wait, the, what is that? I keep hearing about it. And ah, I've never so let, heard all into that. What is the dark crystal? So let me, let, let me learn you something and then, and then maybe you'll go and check it out. And this is not, this isn't coming from the, and then you will be able to talk about it because you will be as knowledgeable as me. <laughs> I no, know it's, all and it, now it, you learn, child. No, <laughs> it's 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 to find something that I think it, it sounds like you'd be into it. Um, so what the dark crystal is is the dark crystal is a creation, and I'm going to forget the name of the writer of the books, but this guy had done some artwork and picture books, and I think he'd created a, a mythology in a world, and Jim Henson had fallen in love with it, and this is like the early 1980s Jim Henson. So this is Jim Henson at like 
the cusp of his stranglehold on everything. I mean, Lucasfilm used Henson puppets, you know, the Muppets, Sesame Street, all that. And, and, and um, Jim Henson decided, I'm going to direct a movie based on these weird-ass fantasy stories with my buddy Frank Oz. And Frank Oz is, you know, the voice of Miss Piggy and Fozzie Bear. He still is. He's the voice of Yoda. Yeah. And, and, and they were going to co-direct this movie. And the thing that George Lucas said, and there will not be a single human in it, it's all going to be puppets. It's going to be people in puppet costumes. And it's instead of it being the familiar Muppets and everything, it's going to be weird ass, like um, social class warfare, high fantasy about these people on an alien planet, not people, but these creatures on an alien planet and these villains called the Skeksis who have come in and they have basically eradicated and destroyed the land and sucked up all their natural resources. And this one kid finds a piece of this crystal that they use to do this. And he's like, their like savior. And he, if he goes and replaces the crystal, he wins this thing back. And Jim Henson made this movie and just like labyrinth, it didn't really make any money. And it's a bummer because he made those really close back to back. Well, Dark Crystal has gotten quite a big cult following. And lo and behold, Netflix comes along and gave somebody money to reopen the Jim Henson Creature Lab and make a television show that's a prequel to the Dark Crystal. Okay. And holy shit, did they nail it. The other thing that amazed me about this is the guy who became, you talk about having a director different director for every episode this show had the same director for every episode and you'd think okay so is it going to be frank oz is it going to be like one of these people that worked for the henson company no it's the guy who made unleashed and um the transporter and the incredible hulk the um the, the first mcu hulk movie the incredible hulk with edward norton who Wait, apparently unleashed. is You're talking about that jet lee movie yeah yeah oh so my goodness that- it's him yeah, so I'm watching the making of, and this guy comes in, and I go, okay, is he just a contract director that they brought in because he knows how to handle effects work? And it's no, he shows up to set the first day in their shing, and they're shooting. He goes, he goes, I am like the biggest fan of the Dark Crystal, and I can't wait to work on this. And he nailed it. What's cool about this is it's all, they kind of took the approach that more recent stop motion animation has taken to really putting the focus on the puppets and the models and the backgrounds kind of are okay if we do them a little bit more digital and like the water and the effects are digital because we really want to make sure you're seeing the puppet, you know? So the puppets are all puppets, but they do a lot of cool, you know, blue screen work and digital work to make it feel bigger and more Lord of the Rings size than the original Dark Crystal did. But holy crap, did they nail the look. And this is not a children's show. Kids can watch it. But just like the Black Cauldron in Lord of the Rings and the original Dark Crystal, this is dark, hard, high fantasy. And it's dealing with some social class warfare stuff. The Skeksis are basically, you know, the conservatives destroying America right now. And it's um, how they wrote them <laughs> in, this, in this show. But they're vile and they, they just add to the mythos. And it's, it's one of those things that like you can take this and put it alongside the prequels to the Star Wars films. And everything we say that went wrong with those, even though from a thematic standpoint, some of the best parts of the Star Wars EU and mythos came from those, this does everything that did wrong right. Like, it 
adds to a character instead of taking away from them by adding things that make the motivations in the film that you see later make more sense. And like the voice cast that they got for this thing, um, the, the machine Skeksis, who's, who's the tinkerer who makes all of their machines, is Mark Hamill. And you almost won't recognize it, but is Mark Hamill. They got friggin' Andy Samberg to play a character, and he's actually tolerable. Um, and, and I like, and I like Andy Samberg, but him coming in and doing voice work, I was like, oh no, this is going to ruin this show. And then he showed up and was one of the most important characters. Um, what's his name? Um, Sean from Shaun of the Dead there, whose name I can never remember. Oh, uh, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg does a voice. Um, it, it, it's, it's just incredible, dude. And the thing is, is they Netflixed it. So they put it out there and I'm guessing it made enough money that we're going to get more. Um, but it, it was a love letter. Like I have not found a person who didn't like it. It, it just, they nailed it. So I highly recommend it. And, and whether you see the show first or the movie first, I think where, where you haven't seen either, I don't think it really matters. This will be fun. I'm actually excited for this. If you don't mind, before we go, can I shoot you a movie recommendation? Uh, no, absolutely, dude. Go for it. So I don't know if you've heard of this film. It's called Dope. 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 I feel like I've heard I have not seen it. So Dope is directed by one of the director episodes of The Mandalorian. His name is Rick Famuia. Uh, oh, I know him. Ends, yeah, he ends up directing a coming of age movie in which this young black teenager named Malcolm ends up going on what they call a slippery slope of just these of the situation where he ends up getting involved with um the drug game and just this entire day of just crazy nonsense. It feels like it feels like this guy is trying to truly understand where he is and his place in the world because he is he was very much like myself. He is a teenager trying to get into a really good school like Harvard or an Ivy League school, and he's super into 90s stuff. He's a geek. He has the Will Smith flat top. He wears the the short shorts, rides on his bike all the time and it's got this awe-inspiring last speech like monologue at the end that really hit home with me in terms of how we look at black culture for, for children and I think you'd take a really strong I think you'd take a really strong like look at this and realize not only is this a great movie this one where this uh the main actor that Shamik Moore this movie is why he lands Miles Morales in Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, man. I, I, need, I need to see it. So, yeah, God. You bring it up Into the Spider-Verse, and I go, I could talk for a whole other hour about Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, 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 so I'll just I'll, I'll leave it at this. One, I'm, I'm going to watch Dope as soon as possible because that sounds amazing. And I and I can't believe I haven't seen it. And two, I think we can both leave with the internet. And I'm sure you agree that they just shouldn't be making Spider-Man movies anymore after Into the Spider-Verse. Like as much as I like the ta- the, the um God Brain shutting off the, the new that the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies they're fine and and I love him as Spider-Man, but they did it. They they made the best looking and the most perfect Spider-Man movie ever, and they did it without having Peter Parker be the main character, and that makes me so goddamn happy. <laughs> you I, I know, the guy that fought on the hill 
that was just, you know what? Nope, Spider-Man 2 is the best. You're, you're not beating it. I'm sorry. And I looked at the trailers for Into the Spider-Verse when I first saw it. I was like, oh, this looks good, but it's not going to beat Spider-Man 2. And then I watched it mouth agape and just thought, oh, snap. This is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. It's and it, it's brilliant. It, it's like watching Christopher Reeve as Superman for the first time and going, yeah, they don't need to do this anymore. Do you know what I mean? And, and I felt that way with really that good episode. I expect it just, oh, it's be- it's brilliant. And and I loved watching, like, you go back to Spider-Man 2, and I sat in the theater with my brother, and I went, this is jumping right off the page. They don't have to do this anymore. This this You won't make a better-looking Spider-Man movie. And then I saw Into the Spider-Verse, and I went, <laughs> I, I wanted every movie I saw after that to be made that way. I'm just like, I want I, this is the perfect use of the medium. It Even though the film is not as good, it was like when I saw Avatar in the theater the first time and went, see, finally, 3D. I get it now. Like, <laughs> you know? this, this is why you guys are on it. And then yeah. I was the Dark Knight and IMAX and I was like, oh, this is what you're on about about IMAX. Okay, cool. But but in Into the Spider-Verse, there's, it's, it's as unique of a of, of film as probably the first time somebody saw a digital effect used, you know, where you go, Oh my God, this is a game changer. The first time somebody saw something in color, the first time somebody saw something in cinemascope, you know, and it's like you, you look at that and you go, I didn't think you could innovate anymore. And, and they didn't even have to, right. You could have just taken that script and made the Spider-Man movie with real people. And the script was good enough. And the cast was good enough. And putting Miles Morales there front and center and make it be about kids that don't ever get a superhero story like that, a whole, you know, race of people that don't get a story like that, you know, and just have that all be front and center. And also it's the most comic book looking comic book movie ever. Like they just, and, and they built a whole universe. They didn't need 20 movies to do it. It, it, It's, it's cemented. It works. And the best part about it is it's almost its own film in itself where even if I never got a sequel to it, I'm still okay with that. That's how I feel. They're going to make sequels to this. Um, without that's, a that's how I feel about the Watchmen TV show that, that looked so bad I wasn't going to watch it and then watched it and went, oh my God, this is the best TV show I've ever watched. <laughs> but I, I'm recording that podcast with folks on Friday. The, the Watchmen show, I had the same thing. I want more, but I don't need you to make more. Like, if you don't make more, I'd be fine right now. Right. It's got <laughs> 10 episodes. Well, it, it, I think it's 10 or 9 or something like that. And it's fine. You guys really can just stop now. We don't need to do Watchmen ever again. I think we've hit well, especially espe- Watchmen in, two, the, in, what, the 80s? Nope, we're good now. Especially because I... I just have a feeling that since this kind of got created out of a bubble of really good ideas and good intention and we're going to add all of this subtext to it and kind of change what the point of some of the characters were without really changing how they were done in the comic i have a feeling that they're they're just going to ruin it it's like damon lindelof is one of those problems that jj abrams has where damon lindelof doesn't know how to end what he begins either and i watched through the watchman show and went oh my god he actually fucking ended something don't let him do anymore just stop don't let him touch it again like this is the best thing damon lindelof has ever had his name attached to he nailed it don't let him do it again but at the same time i want to see where the characters go 
you know, so it, it's a weird double double standard um, that I'm unfortunately stuck in. But yeah, it, it, into the Spider Verse, man. Leave it to those Lego Movie guys that got their asses fired off of Solo um, to keep making things, even though they just produced that. To keep making things that just kind of go, hey guys, you you know this is a bad mm. idea, right? Yeah, 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 yeah we do. You know, um, you probably shouldn't make a 21 Jump Street movie, right? Yeah, no, it'll be fine. We'll make two of them. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a leg. A, where we have directors that are just brilliant for the sake of brilliance sake, and they just keep making stuff that shouldn't work. Oh, what's that, Jordan Peele? You just got off of doing your show that was way too much like Chappelle's show, but still worked anyways. Uh, what's this movie you're coming at us with? Uh, a, a horror movie where basically the the horrific thing is white people. Yeah, no problem. It'll be great. Oh God. Yeah. I, Jordan Peele's just writing his own paychecks at this point. I, um, I, I even liked his twilight zone show. Did you watch it? Yeah, man. Even the, even the episodes that were twilight zone episodes rock. Yeah. And, and what, what was crazy about it is I think the thing that hurt that the most is that he just made such a, um, it was such an unabashedly fan service to Twilight Zone because the show never really moved past where the, and it did a couple times, but it never really moved past where the original Twilight Zone went with how weird or how violent or how gross it got. So the couple of times it did, I was like, come on, guys, you don't have to try to be Black Mirror. I know that everybody is doesn't like this show as much because Black Mirror kind of out Twilight Zone to the Twilight Zone. I get it. But I just love that the show just had it wore its heart on its sleeve. It's just like, yeah, we're the Twilight Zone. Come have fun. And the 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 meta episode he did. Did, did you watch the whole thing? I watched the whole thing. Um, the, the the final episode where he was a character in it was I, I had to I stood up and applauded when it was over in my own house. I'm like, you know what? You earned that guy. You earned that shit. Good job. <laughs> it's just we have brilliant people doing wonderful stuff, and I don't know why we're not letting them just throw everything they have on the mind like jojo rabbit from taika watiti i just I, watched it last night holy shit didn't expect that didn't expect a comedy movie where the most comedic element is hitler but okay i i told you again i'm 10 years old i don't smoke sorry i i, I need to do this when i'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> oh man dude I love talking to you, man. I'd love if we ever have a chance to do this again. This would be so No, much. we should. We should. I think we have so much to talk about, it would seem. And again, I I thank you so much for reaching out because um, uh, th that's how this works, right? We, we we somehow are able to make friends on the hellscape that is Twitter. I don't know how I keep doing it, but, <laughs> but my brother always tells me, I think you're doing it wrong. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, there's not like, you know, thousand page essays on websites about how horrible of a human being you are yet. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, okay. <laughs> I, I, you don't have memes on Twitter that show your face and call you the consumer. And the talk consumer. About how yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I, oh, I, dude, I know. I, I went and read those. He, stop it. It's just the consumer. I'm like, you're a consumer. Everyone's a consumer. <laughs> So apparently he, so apparently he's moved, according to the internet, he's moved out of my parents' basement and lives in my basement now because, you know, he definitely isn't employed and makes enough money off these fucking chuckleheads to live on his own. No, not, not Bob. Because he's not <laughs> a grown ass man with bills to pay. 
Nah, he's got <laughs> endless hordes of basement that he's got on speed dial, just chilling on an air mattress. That's the only thing he owns. He didn't even own the mic he has or anything like that, or the green screen. Nah, just an air mattress. Man, get out that's of here. That's it. Yep. Oh, man. No, this has been great. I, I got to get back to work, but I, I was going to give you, as I always do to everyone, a chance. Do you have anything you want to plug, promote? Or anyone else's stuff that you want to talk about real quick? Just you know, this is this is your um, your portal to the the thousands of people that listen to me, which is actually pretty damn cool and weird to think about. God, I, I wish I could just I wish I could just plug myself as an actor and just say, hey guys, if you'd like to do this for me, like hey, I'd love to be in some films and work like that. But right now, I just. I, I want everyone here, whoever is listening, please do your best. Just donate over to the Australian Red Cross. Oh, yeah. Going through some really hard times right now with all the wildfires that are going on. If you guys just happen to donate even $5, a dollar, whatever you have, please help them out. I just, it, it hurts me to see situations like that, the continued earthquakes that are basically just destroying Puerto Rico. And us not talk about that enough. And so after a whole hour and a half of nerd talk of Star Wars and Metal Gear and the Dark Crystal, I just I, I hope to leave you guys on the hope that there is more to it than just entertainment that we have. There are people that are truly out there hurting and we have a chance to truly affect change on this, as we say, hellscape we call Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Please do your part. Please help out. That'd be that'd be my tidbit to give to the world at this time. Right, and know that, you know, th this is something we can all come together. There's no villain to fight here, right? This isn't, this isn't a political debate. This isn't a religious debate. This is a continent full of people are basically stuck in the middle of a smoldering wasteland that is killing off their food it's killing off their ecosystem and it's killing them and um and same thing with puerto rico the, the earth is just hurting these people and i think people that's too big for some people to think right people want their little just just like gatekeeping in in, in entertainment like we talked about people want someone to blame it on you know um that that that's the world that we live in you don't have anyone to blame you know what you can blame you can blame yourself if you don't give money to it for not trying to help and that's not to put you in a bad place that's just to say it's real change you can affect it, and that's a, that's a real thing regret this for the rest of our lives if we don't choose at some point to help one another the, 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 there's there's a wonderful quote that's like the line stops here right obviously we all know that of just an adage of somewhere the buck stops here. And we keep moving back that line, but somewhere soon enough, if it's 2020, let it be 2020. If it's 2025, that sucks, but let it be somewhere. At some point we have to say enough. There is no amount of money that would stop us from taking care of our families and other, and, and our extended people, our cousins, our sisters, our fathers, our grandfathers. Why can we not do the same for people we don't know, people who speak right. different languages, who have entire cultures and ecosystems that are being completely snuffed right now? Just find a way to love again. And if that's a message I could just send into 2020 through the next decade, please find a way to love again, guys. Just have fun. 
enjoy it. We don't get a whole lot of time on this big little blue ball we call Earth. So just have some fun. Take take the chance to truly change someone's life, and I guarantee you it will change yours. That's awesome. That is probably the most – on a show that I, I intend to be fun and uplifting and not be a downer, that's probably the most uplifting message I've ever ended the show on because it used to end on just saying, hey, guys, Star Wars is actually good. Stop. <laughs> 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 no, dude, that, that, that that's amazing. If you need help, dial the 1-800 hotline for the U.S., please. If you need to donate to the Australian Red Cross, do it. Do whatever it takes now. We are, in the same way that it is impossible to be ignorant with the internet, it is impossibly, it is impossible to be emotionally stagnant to the issues that we see going on today. Do something, or you will regret it for the rest of your days absolutely well guys um this has been chris chipman the chippa and trayvon trey there um thank you very much everybody i appreciate you guys please donate to this man's patreon yes lay, laying some reality on you there please please donate to australia first and then <laughs> donate to my patreon because i'm not on fire yet <laughs> and australia is um but yeah, th thank you so much, Trey, for shooting the shit with Chippa. And thank you all for listening. And we, we will both be talking again soon and be talking to all of you soon. Be safe. Be well, brother, man.